My name is Shirley Winch, and the name of my ranch is Rancho de Monte Cristo in Laredo, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas, agriculture on Texas Ag Today. This is Texas Ag Today, the number one source for the latest news in Texas agriculture. The largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State covers it all. From the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos, and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Here's today's top stories. Texas rice farmers are looking at another year with no irrigation water. We'll have that story coming up to kick off today's show. Even in a time when cattle prices are pretty high already, there are still opportunities for ranchers to add value to their animals. I'm James Hunt, and we'll talk about that on Texas Ag Today. Lawmakers on both sides of the aisle are stressing the need for a farm bill. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have more coming up on Texas Ag Today. Now, here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Why don't you jump on in with me and buckle up? We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. Be sure to hold on tight because it all starts right now. For the second year in a row, southeast Texas rice farmers may not be able to grow a crop due to the lack of irrigation water from the lower Colorado River Authority. Some people have reverted to... uh you know, if they're in the right location, dr- drilling water wells. But a lot of people are just, just not going to farm rice. That's Dylan Berglund, a rice farmer in Wharton County. Farmers in Wharton, Colorado, and Matagorda counties take irrigation water out of the lower Colorado River to flood their rice fields. And last year, that water was totally cut off. Berglund says only farmers with irrigation wells can grow rice now, but those wells are very expensive to drill, with the price doubling in the past few years. The cost of a new well now is well over $600,000. It would take you know, a lifetime to pay it off. Years ago, it was a lot less. We drilled one six or seven years ago now, and it was 300000 The root of the problem is that the reservoirs upstream supply drinking water to Austin and surrounding areas. Those reservoirs were lowered substantially by the two-year drought, and they aren't releasing much water that can flow downstream to farmers near the coast. The drought situation is improving in Texas, but just over half of the state is now drought-free. According to the U.S. Drought Monitor, 20.7% of Texas is suffering from moderate or worse drought. That is down more than 30 percentage points from three months ago. 1.97% of the state is in extreme drought. That includes parts of the following counties, Presidio, Jeff Davis, Hudspeth, and El Paso in far west Texas, and Blanco, Gillespie, Kendall, Kerr, Bandera, and Medina counties in south Texas. The state is officially free of exceptional drought. 61% of Texas is completely drought-free. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dommel. This is National FFA Week, a week set aside each year to promote the organization and all the good things it does for FFA members. Elise Sharp is the first vice president of the Texas FFA. You can advocate and promote our organization any day of the year. 
but this week students already have a platform for it and so there's going to be a unity that comes with this when everyone is sharing and everyone is posting and everyone is promoting at the same time you know the goal is almost just to flood everyone's social media everyone's minds everyone's schools with the concept of you know look at our great organization look at what it's doing to our lives Tuesday is designated as FFA Day here in Texas. Cattle prices are at historic highs right now, but James Hunt tells us there are still opportunities to add value to your calves. In recent reports, Jason Smith of AgriLife has shared some insights on various ways ranchers can enhance the value of their cattle. Today, we round things out with a few more pieces of advice from Dr. Smith, including don't overlook opportunities. I want to encourage producers year in and year out to be critical about evaluating what options they have, what strategies they might be able to utilize to add value to a calf, whether that's through making that calf heavier or through making that calf check some box that it maybe would not have otherwise. As we've discussed previously, checking a box can include things like castrating and dehorning your cattle prior to sale, or maybe enrolling in an all-natural program. Dr. Smith says value can also be added through age and source verification, or participating in beef quality assurance. As we start to add some of these things up, there's opportunities we might be able to add upwards of two to $300 per head. But whatever route you go, marketing is crucial. For a number of these strategies, if we don't market cattle accordingly, we may not return the potential value of that strategy, such as weaning and preconditioning. If we don't market those cattle accordingly, that may not be a profitable venture for us. Absolutely the right thing to do for the industry, but if we don't market the cattle in a way that allows us to capture that value, we're not going to likely see a positive return on that investment. Texas A&M AgriLife Beef Cattle Specialist Jason Smith will conduct an online program on the topic of enhancing the value of your calf crop on February 29th at 9 a.m., To find out more about that February 29th program, contact AgriLife. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Lawmakers on both sides of the aisle are stressing the need for a farm bill. Jessica Domel has the story. Republican and Democratic members of the House Committee on Agriculture recently expressed the importance of a new farm bill with U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack. Committee Chairman G.T. Thompson of Pennsylvania said America's farmers, ranchers, foresters, rural communities, and everyday consumers need the government to work for them, not against them. These men and women have struggled with fractured supply chains, considerable input costs, relentless inflation, natural disasters, volatile markets, and labor shortages, each consistently worsened by ill-conceived, half-baked executive action. In what seemingly is a daily occurrence, taxpayer dollars are being sent to every corner of the country, yet nothing has changed. We're not producing more fertilizer. We're not reducing the cost of production. We're not making food more affordable. However, we are burdening the taxpayer. We're losing ground on the world stage. Thompson said the U.S. is a net agricultural importer. We are less independent, less resilient, and less competitive. Now, Farm Bill is the best opportunity that exists to course correct. Now, I've been clear in my intent, Congress can and must craft a bipartisan Farm Bill that aligns the farm safety net with the needs of the producers, expands market access and trade promotion opportunities, strengthens program operations to demand transparency and accountability to the taxpayers, 
and helping our neighbors in need, but doing so without indiscriminate expansion of our nutrition safety net. Thompson told the committee and secretary, it is virtually impossible to create a robust and resilient farm safety net without a significant investment. Considerable opportunities exist within our jurisdiction to not only fund the safety net, but fund a substantial number of shared bipartisan priorities. And I continue to implore my Democratic colleagues to think in earnest about these priorities, priorities that can be funded without cutting SNAP, a SNAP benefit or eliminating the important conservation programs that we've all come to appreciate. We'll have more on the committee's Farm Bill discussion on our next show. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Vertical tillage can pay off in higher yields. Tom Nicoletti explains. A vertical tillage system can provide a number of benefits to farmers. These include higher yielding crops. In a five-year Farm Journal study, vertical tillage corn yielded 12.7 more bushels per acre than those planted with conventional tillage practices. Another vertical tillage benefit is more root growth and nutrient absorption. Without barriers created by conventional tillage methods, root systems are free to flourish. This root growth allows for more access points to soil nutrients and water, necessities for ideal crop health and higher yields. James Schertz is president of the Ag Division for Great Plains Manufacturing based in Salina, Kansas. So vertical tillage, really you think about where it fits into the, uh, the Texas market, is predominantly vertical is all about soil health. How do I minimize the soil disturbance, keep that moisture in the ground, but be able to size my residue, whether it be corn, cotton stocks, really wheat in some of the areas, and really get that get that residue down into the ground to where it can start to decompose, but also creating that optimal seed bed for that next planting or seeding application. And that's what we do. It's really being able to manage that soil health through minimal disturbance, but also being able to do it in a variable rate. We can change the intensity of the tillage, whether it be more aggressive or less aggressive, really to match the conditions that you're trying to look for and keep it within a sustainable environment. Also important for Texas farmers is that vertical tillage systems are more producer-friendly and provide additional water infiltration. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. This is a good year for grazing in the Southern Plains. And scours and pneumonia are the biggest challenges for raising calves in the winter. We'll take a look at both of those stories coming up. These stories, plus a look at the markets, are straight ahead on Texas Ag Today. This week is National FFA Week, February 17th through the 24th. And FFA members from across the country are celebrating and sharing the FFA story. I'm National FFA President Amara Jackson from Michigan. On Thursday, February 22nd, you're invited to celebrate Give FFA Day, a 24-hour fundraising effort that unites the FFA community in support of the next generation of leaders who will change the world. Learn how you can help by visiting FFA.org and be sure to share your stories during hashtag FFA Week. Broadcasting from a padded room in the basement of the Texas Farm Bureau World Headquarters, here's Carrie Martin with more Texas Ag Today. Let's head out to the southern plains of West Texas to check in with Eddie Griffiths. 
And Eddie, how are things looking for cattle producers here in the middle of February out your way? Yeah, we're getting closer to spring, so every day we get closer to spring, the better it is, especially for the cow-calf operator out there, or even those with stalkers out on pasture, just because, you know, things seem to start growing a little bit better. I'm, I'm sure we're in store for a few more cold spells, but for the past few weeks, it's been pretty mild. You know, it's been a good situation, especially for wheat to, to be growing, get some irrigation out on it, keep it established. But as far as cattle out on pasture, you know, there's still feed going out. We were fortunate this year to have feed availability this winter, where last winter it was pretty scarce and incredibly expensive. And it's gone down somewhat, but still when you're feeding, you, you've got to pencil that in. You know, I know a some producers have put cattle in the yards, especially maybe if they're cleaning calves or whatever, go that route and just try to keep an eye on the market, figure out where you're going to pull the trigger and get rid of some of those cattle that you've been feeding for the past year or so. That's Eddie Griffiths from Lubbock. Scours and pneumonia are the biggest challenges for raising calves in the winter. Dr. Bob Judd says there are several things that can help deal with those challenges. Dr. Pamela Rugg from Michigan State indicates that supportive care is more valuable than antibiotics. The natural inclination is to treat these calves with an injection of something, but there are other methods that can guide calves on the road to recovery. Dr. Rugg and Dr. Sheila McGuirk from Wisconsin have developed some suggestions for calf raisers and first of all, isolate sick calves to their own area and put down fresh bedding to keep them warm and dry. If their temperature is decreased, administer oral warm fluids through a feeding tube if necessary. Oral fluids can be used as long as the calf's intestine is functioning and the abdomen is not distended. If the intestine is not working and you add more fluid, the bloating will increase and the calf's condition will deteriorate. Make sure fresh water is available twice a day, even for calves on milk replacer. They recommend to offer milk replacer at the same dilution and temperature, but feed more often. Instead of feeding two quarts twice a day, feed one quart four times a day, as this is easier to digest. Feeding large amounts of milk to calves with a questionable digestive tract can lead to digestive issues, especially in cold weather. If calves are cold, their digestive tract slows down, milk is not moving in their intestine, and this allows the E. coli bacteria to proliferate and cause infection. Electrolytes can be helpful for dehydration, but should not be fed within two hours of feeding milk. Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like banamine and ketoprofen can increase the appetite by making the calves feel better. Supplementation can help replace bacteria lost if antibiotics are used, and use antibiotics only for specifically diagnosed diseases. I'm Dr. Bob Judd, and this is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. We'll check the markets coming up next on Texas Ag Today. This is National FFA Week, and FFA students across the country are celebrating. I'm National FFA Western Region Vice President Emily Gossett from New Mexico. Many special and safe activities are happening in FFA communities this week, but all year long, FFA members experience education, leadership, service, and personal and professional development as FFA feeds our intellectual growth and curiosity. Celebrate with us and share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA Week. Here's the latest market information on Texas Ag Today. 
All of our agricultural markets were closed on Monday for the President's Day holiday, so we'll take a look back at how things wrapped up on Friday. We wrapped up trading on Friday, heading into the long weekend with live and feeder cattle both higher. The nearby February live cattle contract, low volume, getting ready to go off the board in a couple of weeks. It was up $1.37, $184.77. The April up a dollar ninety-five, one eighty-seven fifty-five, with June live cattle up ninety-five cents, one eighty-two eighty-two. Big gains on feeder cattle Friday. March was up three ninety-two at two fifty-one oh two. April up three thirty-two, two fifty-three fifty-five, with the May contract up two seventy-two at two fifty-five sixty-two. Cash fed cattle trade wrapping up the week selling cattle here in the Southern Plains. At 180, that's two bucks lower compared to the previous week. Up north, same price on live sales, 180. Dressed cattle in the north, 287. That's one to two bucks lower compared to the previous week. Box B prices higher Friday. Choice up 76 cents at 296.06. Select was up 20 at 288.19. Now let's check those auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Neighbor, my name's Larry Marble, and you're listening to Walking the Pens here on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with Rodney Butler, BBL Livestock. Rodney, how'd your Friday sale go? We got along real good. Uh, we had some good cattle, and old market sure enough was active, sir. Walk the pens with us. All right, we had 446 head of cattle, no horses and no goats. And that old market sure was active. Two to 300 pound steers were 298 to 405. Heifers, 285 to 340. 300, 400 pound steers, 286 to 375. Heifers, 235 to 330. 400, 500 pound steers, 266 to 330. Heifers, 246 to 335. 500, 600 pound steers, 241 to 315. Heifers, 226 to 265. 600, 700 pound steers, 240 to 282. Heifers, 215 to 233. 700, 800 pound steers, 206 to 239. Heifers, 209 to 215. Packer cows and bulls, sure enough, were steady to high. They brought anywhere from 75 to $1.15 on Packer cows. Bulls brought from 80 to $1.30. Stocker cows brought anywhere from 85 to $1.25. We didn't have any bred cows that went back home this week. And our pairs that we had Friday were 660 to 1450, sir. Sounds like you had a good sale. What do you know of for this next go round? Anything? Uh, I know of a few coming. I don't know of a whole bunch coming, no big bunches that I know of on this right now, but I'm sure we'll have another 350 to 450 hundred head this next week, sir. Well, tell everybody how to get a hold of you, Rodney Butler, Beville Livestock. Yeah, if I can help market your cattle down here in South Texas, call me at 361-358-1727, or y'all can call me on my mobile, 645-5002. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you, and take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Neighbor, thanks for joining us each day here on Walking the Pins in the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'm Larry Marble. That was Rodney Butler. We'll see you again tomorrow. Back over to the futures market where lean hogs finish mixed Friday. The April contract up 22 cents, 85.22. May was unchanged, 88.85. Class 3 milk mixed. February milk down a penny, 16.17 a hundredweight. With March milk up 7, 16.87 a hundred. 
Cotton closed lower on Friday, profit-taking, coming into the market, pushing prices down. Of course, we've had a great week in the cotton market, especially on those old crop contracts. So traders closing out positions, taking profits, heading into the three-day weekend. March cotton down 76 points, 93.87. May down 89 at 94.42. December new crop cotton down 76, 84.08. Corn finished lower again on Friday, closing at a new contract low for the sixth time in eight trading days. USDA Outlook Conference releasing another estimate on the corn crop last week. It showed the corn ending stocks rising by 360 million bushels, up to a total of 2.5 billion, a record large yield of 180 bushels per acre in this past crop was what helped to push us to an all-time record crop above 15 billion bushels. So all of that corn continues to weigh on the market. March corn down one and a quarter, 416 and a half. May corn down a half, 429 and a half. September finished one and a half higher at 447 a bushel. Wheat hitting new contract lows as well on Friday. Just a glut of wheat on the market. Russia, Ukraine, and the EU all dealing with big wheat stocks. And they're chopping prices, undercutting everyone else on the world market. March Kansas City wheat down eight and a half, five sixty-seven and a quarter. New crop July down eight and a quarter, five fifty-five and a quarter. Soft wheat in Chicago finishing lower as well. March down six and a half, five sixty and a half. New crop July, Chicago wheat down eight and a quarter. 561 and three quarters. In the energy markets, March natural gas up two cents at a dollar sixty. March West Texas crude up a dollar fourteen, seventy-nine seventeen a barrel. The financial markets were lower Friday afternoon. The Dow down 145 points, 38,627. The Nasdaq down 130 points, 15,775. The SP down 24 at 5,005. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this episode of Texas Ag Today. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in its greatest state in the U.S. of A., Texas agriculture. Thanks for joining us for Texas Ag Today. Be sure to follow the Texas Ag Today podcast found wherever you listen to podcasts. For more Texas farm and ranch news, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.